right, well, it's, it's great to be with you guys here again, and uh, after several months. Um, just a quick advertisement before I begin. We um, brought some items from Israel in the room next door. Uh, some of those items we had last time, which include things like uh, anointing oil and uh, soaps and um, some kind of lip, lip balm and things like that. These are from, uh, made from some friends of ours, some believers in the land. And so you're welcome to those. Um, also, especially from Israel, are pot holders made by my wife, both for uh, Hanukkah and for Christmas. And uh, so you have those out there. They're, they're pretty cool. And please buy them up because um, our house was, the entire area was covered with sewing of these <laughs> pot holders. So they're pretty cool. But they're pretty cool. But anyway, so please do that. And then there's a few other items out there as well. So Please um, enjoy them when you get out there, and I think you'll, you'll find, oh, Stacy's CD is out there, I think, and our worship CD and a few other items. So anyway, okay. Well, today, I, uh, it's interesting that the portion today is about the reconciliation between uh, Jacob and Esau, and that's really what I want to talk about today, not so much about Jacob and Esau, but about the subject of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel and is central to the kingdom of God. Reading, I want to read beginning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through the Messiah, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Messiah, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. But more than just reconciling people to God, but God's heart and his ultimate purpose is that all things would be reconciled to themselves, to others, and to the Lord. And this is best depicted in this very well-known portion from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, well-known. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the, with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is what I believe that Paul meant when he talked about giving us the ministry of reconciliation. In Judaism, the concept is called tikkun olam, the idea of the restoration of the world. And so this is really interestingly depicted on this uh, tapestry, which we're going to show you here. In the, in the Knesset, there is, um, there is uh, three tapestries in the meeting hall of the Knesset. This is where foreign dignitaries come and meet with the leaders of Israel. Three tapestries that uh, include the Israel in the past, Israel in the present, and Israel in the future. And this is a tapestry of Israel in the future. And you can see that here's the cobra and the lion and so on. Everybody is all rejoicing together. This is the, a tapestry by Marc Chagall, the great French 
um, French Jewish uh, painter and tapestry person and, and so on. But in addition to this depiction of the future where everything is at peace, there's also representations in here of Jewish history. You have down here in the corner uh, Abraham with the knife getting ready to slay Isaac. You have up here in the corner Moses with wings, in this case carrying the tablets. And then you also have Jacob right up here in the ladder coming down from the ladder. So this is a depiction of the end of days where everything will be reconciled one to another. Above all things, this is what we are committed to do as followers of Yeshua, which is to bring about the reconciliation of all things. And uh, now, and that includes reconciliation between people and reconciliation between groups. Now, as, as you know, for at least uh, several years, there was a breach between me and the congregation here at Tikvat Israel. And uh, last year when I came back here in the spring, I felt compelled of God beforehand to reach out to offer to speak to the congregation as an offering of peace. And uh, I decided that I'd be returning back here in April to be able to celebrate my father's uh, 91st birthday. So I used that as the, as the means of, uh, uh, you know, meeting. So I contacted the elders here and asked them, who, who asked me to meet with me first, to have a meeting before we did that. And uh, because God is in the reconciliation business, no matter what. He is always in the reconciliation business. Now, coincidentally, just before we arrived here, David Aaron Sebia had passed away. And um, his mother, Linda, uh, found out that we happened to be in town. Linda, who's a member here found out that we happened to be in town and asked me to conduct the funeral. And so, in, so the first time in four years that I was here at Tikvat Israel was, was uh, being able to conduct this funeral, this service. There were some former Tikvat Israel members who actually came to the funeral as a result. And even though, of course, we were here as a kind of a, a tragic, an ex tragic experience of the loss of a young man in his prime of life, and it was sad for many. It was also for some a major reconciliation and healing between some of the former members of Tikvot and the, and the current members right here. And uh, because, and in many ways, it was a sign for the entire trip. This first event was a sign for the entire trip of God's purpose for us coming back here, which was for reconciliation. Later on, during the week, I met with the elders. We had a good discussion. And if you recall, for those of you that were here, Stacy then en ended up helping out in worship. And the next Saturday, and I spoke, uh, and it was the very same day that my dad passed away, uh, that later that evening, and I'll be speaking about that a little bit here in a few more minutes. Now, also what's interesting is before we returned here for that particular trip, we were contacted by a former member of Tikvot from the very early days of the congregation. And she and her family had been instrumental in building Tikvot Israel from the very beginning. Her husband was part of the great Hanukkah miracle story where God reproduced the, the oil and uh, covered us for the whole winter, a thousand gallons of oil that I have written about. Her father actually made the stars of David that are up here on the ark right here. Those come from her father. The, the sad part was that she had a crisis of faith in the mid-1990s and she and her entire family had left the congregation at that time. It was very painful for me because I was very close with them. And I uh, was very close with the family, the whole entire family. 
And all of a sudden, just before I came back here, a month or so before I came back, she reached out to us 20 years later that she had actually returned to the Lord several months before. She apologized to us for everything that had happened back at that particular time. And then she asked if we could get together when we came into town. And so we had lunch, our, these two tuple, couples together that hadn't seen each other in over 20 years. And uh, we took pictures of each other because it was a time of reconciliation. It's amazing that restoration and reconciliation is at the very heart of the Lord. We also had another similar situation, the very same trip where another former elder of Tikvot from the early years who had left again also in the 90s, in the 1990s with some ill will, we, we ended up having lunch with him. Our relationship was completely restored. There was healing between us. And, uh, but the real coup de grace and the rest of what I'm going to be talking about here is what God did with my family. It's an amazing story. Now for that, I'm going to have to back up for several years go over a little bit of history here about what happened. But when I came to faith in 1969, it was very explosive for my family. I still remember a year after I came to faith, my family knew or had, was suspicious about what was happening. But uh, I came back from, the, from uh, college, and um, I needed to tell them that I'd come to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. And so I still remember that day very, very dramatically. It was the fall of 1970, came into, my came into the kitchen of my home, explained to my parents that I'd become a follower of Yeshua. It, it was a completely explosive event. Where my mother was screaming and crying. My dad was screaming at me. And, uh, and what happened after that is for several years, our relationships went up and down throughout the years, depending on the circumstance. But then in Hanukkah 1985, uh, my family and I, Stacy and me, and two of our children went to my parents for dinner, and basically I was given an ultimatum by my father that either to stop proselytizing to Jewish people or I would be cut off from the family, and so I said I couldn't do that, and so I was cut off from the family after that. It didn't see them again for 28 years. From there, in 1990, we moved from uh, the Washington, D.C. area here and started the congregation. Throughout the years, we tried to reach out to my family to try to bring reconciliation, and it was always rejected. The beginning of the uh, mid-90s, I, I began traveling throughout the world as a leader here in the congregation, began to teach Jewish history throughout the world in various Messianic congregations, and I would always share my story with them, and as part of that story, I would tell them what happened with my family, and I would tell them, please pray for my parents, Eugene and Phyllis Cowan, just pray for reconciliation. And so I know that throughout all the years, thousands of people all over the world, were praying for reconciliation. But I always tried to honor them. I never would speak negatively of them because I, you know, because I knew what God wanted to do. 2001, my parents agreed to see my children for the first time in 16 years. And that, of course, began a big change in the relationship with them. And as my children got older, they began to challenge my parents about reconciling with me. Uh, and my dad was open to it, but my mother was adamant about not reconciling. 2011 was when we moved to Israel. And about a month or so before we left, I decided to write a letter to my father challenging him for the decisions that he made to reject us and to cut us off. And I was very frank and very direct. And I, for the first time, really, I said some, some difficult things to him, very biting 
things about the, his decision. And I knew it would be painful, but I felt like it was necessary for them to hear the truth about the impact that their decision had made to cut us off and so on. And um, I heard from my sister that as a result that the letter threw my mother into a frenzy and she was weeping for like three days, but it didn't result in any change at all. So I have to admit that when we left for Israel really five years ago this month is that I really thought it was over. I mean, uh, they were in their mid-80s by this point, and I figured that was it. There was no chance. We came back here in 2013, and I met with my sister, and my sister said that my dad was open maybe to reconciling, but my mother really wasn't. And so we concocted a plan to be able to see him kind of around about to circumvent my mom. And uh, by then, my father had a serious neurological disease. He was in a wheelchair all the time. Uh, and so he agreed. And in December of 2013, three years ago, almost exactly 28 years to the very day that he cut us off, I went and saw my father. And, um, and I still remember walking into his apartment. <clears throat> and I thanked him for seeing me after all these years. <laughs> and he said, after 30 years, it's time to bury, bury the hatchet because... Typical political, person, political thing to say from a political person. So I showed, I brought a bunch of uh, pictures from Israel on a flash drive, and I showed him our home, and I showed him our life, and, uh, and then I agreed to call him monthly after that, stay in contact with him. And uh, I wanted to, he wanted to be on my Israel update list, you know, a little, uh, my thing that I write every week or two. And he would often comment on the uh, various things that I would write about. And so I want to show you a photo of when we got together. This is a, a photo of myself and my sister and my dad at our reunion 28 years after being cut off in uh, December of 2013. There we are in Washington, D.C. I have to say, it was at that point that our lives changed in Israel. They really did. The law office that I had started suddenly took off. We started, you know, thing, it was like the Father's blessing was really upon us after this whole event. My, my dad began to contribute to what we were doing and uh, financially and actually helped us to move into some really nice offices in uh, central Israel. And uh, like I said, I believe that a lot of the changes occurred because the Father's blessing carried forward. Now, it's interesting, I want to show you two interesting scriptures that are kind of almost diametrically opposed. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 10. This is what it says. It says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is Yeshua, obviously. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The reality is, is that sometimes following Yeshua, it can create great conflicts in relationships, especially in families. But the good news is, is not, that's not the end of the story, because God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. No matter what anybody ever does to us, says to us, whatever happens to us, we always have to be at the point, the purpose of to try to bring about reconciliation. And so this is what it says in the book of Malachi chapter 4. This is an allusion to the coming of the Messiah. It says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah 
before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, before the dreadful, great, great, great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. From then on, I would call my dad each month, and each time that I would call, my mother would answer the phone. And I would say to her, hi, Mom, this is, this is, uh, this is Jamie. And there would always be a pause on the phone, and then she would say, I'll get Mr. Cowan for you. That was pretty much it. And then in May of 2014, for my father's uh, birthday, I called him for his birthday. My mom answered the phone again like she always did. And I said, Mom, this is Jamie. And all of a sudden she said, oh, Jamie, just like that. Oh, Jamie, it's so nice to hear from you. And I was like, and, you know, I wondered because she was, she was beginning to struggle with dementia a little bit. So I thought, well, maybe she had forgotten She'd forgotten that she hated me. You know, I, I don't know what was going on. But all of a sudden, so she starts, she, and I thought, well, maybe she doesn't remember. And so she said, so how is Israel? And how are the girls? And she starts talking as like, like old times, like so many years ago. And I was like, what's going on here? You know, it's like, what had happened? So it went on for like about five minutes. And, uh, and then she said, well, I need to get ready. I need to go, and I'll get your father. And I said, well, Mom, it's really been good talking to you. And she said, yeah, it's really great talking to you. And so my, my dad was on the phone the whole time. He just hadn't said anything. And so she gets off, and I said to my father, I said, so, so what do you make of that? And he said, I don't know. He says, I don't know what happened. He said, I've been trying to, trying to work on her, but I don't, I don't really know. Three days later, she died. And um, it was sudden. She wasn't sick. Nothing. And so I flew back for the funeral. My dad called me that night. Flew back for the funeral to a huge, a huge synagogue in Washington, D.C. It's the largest one in the city. And uh, it's the first time that I'd seen my extended family in over 30 years. People were wondering if I would even come. And I was, uh, and I was considering whether I should even say anything because I wasn't sure what really to say. And so, um, but I decided that I would talk about the reconciliation with my parents. And uh, <clears throat> there wasn't a dry eye in, the <clears throat> in that entire room. All those friends and family members who all knew. Everybody was crying. And um, my dad's cousin, he kept running around <laughs> running around after the, after the service saying, it's a mir- it was a miracle, it was a miracle, you know, and he's not even a believer. It was a miracle, and he, wa- and he, and he, wanted, to, uh, he wanted to discuss with us about Messianic Judaism. And so, I, so for two hours, then a couple days later for lunch, we got together and talked all about Messianic Judaism, what it really meant. So I stayed in contact with my father thereafter, would call him every month. He wrote me back into the will that I'd been cut out of. He started gifting money to my daughters and uh, helping them in their transition into Israel and so on. I joined him for his 90th birthday party in June of 2015. They delayed it so that we could get back for it. It was a big party. And then I decided for 2016, I decided to reschedule our trip that we normally came back in the summer for, for, May, for April, May of 2016 so we could come back for my dad's 91st birthday. And um, it just, it just was coincidental that everything had happened, or Godcidental, I guess you could say, because God knew it was going to happen. So we came up for his birthday in uh, May of 2016, just a few months ago. 
He was now 91. He was very weak and frail, and he was in bed, and I realized that this was going to be the last time that I would probably see him. And so we scheduled one more visit with him on this trip, and uh, we came up two weeks later, just before we came up there again. My sister called me and said that he'd been incoherent for several days, and not to think that we'd be able to do anything or say anything to him, but maybe that Stacy could bring her guitar and she could play him a song or two and so on. So we got up there, walked in. My dad was sitting up in bed reading the Wall Street Journal. And uh, so, I mean, somehow miraculously just came out of this incoherency. And so we had this wonderful time. My sister and, and uh, her daughter were there talking with him. And at some point along the way, I, I asked him if it was okay if Stacy played a song for him. And he said, absolutely. And so he, she played the song, Lord of the World. And he just kept clapping in his bed, kept clapping afterwards. He was all excited. And then my sister left, and we talked a little bit more with him. And, uh, and then I asked if Stacy could play another song, and he said yes. And so she played uh, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd by uh, uh, Ted, uh, what, Ted Pierce. Yeah, Ted Pierce. And, uh, and then I asked if we could pray for him. Now, you have to understand, I've never prayed with my father, never prayed with either of my parents, never been in a position ever praying with them or for them for anything. And he said, absolutely. And so, uh, so first I prayed, Stacy prayed. We were getting ready to close up, and then he said to me, he says, I, I'd like to pray. I, I, I was like, what? You know, I mean, he, he is a lifelong atheist, lifelong atheist. Now he wants to pray. So I said, sure. He prayed as if he'd been praying his entire life. I mean, just talking freely to the Lord. I didn't, know what, I didn't know what was going on. And finally he said, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your redemption. <laughs> I didn't even know he even understood what the word meant, redemption. But he just prayed it. And, um, and so we left that evening and he became incoherent again. And then uh, three days later, Saturday morning before we came here to the service last spring, my sister said, I think he's dying. You need to get up here. And that's when we were here. And so we went up, and um, he was unconscious. We prayed over him. I prayed, prayed the Shema over him. And uh, he died about eight hours later. The funeral was, was scheduled for the day before we were scheduled to leave for Israel. And uh, talking about God's timing. And eight months before this, I had written him a long letter because I had wanted him to know how I really felt because I just felt like there was things like that um, I wanted to tell him that I knew I couldn't say in person. And I also knew that I was writing this letter and I was going to read it at his funeral. So it was like a eulogy at the time that I read it. And so uh, at the funeral, there was probably about 50 people there, mostly Jewish. Their family and friends, including two rabbis. Stacy played, Lord is my shepherd. One of my daughters spoke. And then this is what I read. This is what I uh, wrote. And I'm going to read it now. This is what I uh, read to them. Dear Dad, this will be a long letter to you because I want to bring further healing between you and me in light of our re recent reconciliation. I'm writing this because it would be impossible for me to share this in person. It's way too emotional. I've always loved you and respected you, even from my earliest age. I still remember you playing with me with stuffed animals. 
talking through them in funny stories. I carried this forward in raising our girls, our grandchildren, and countless other kids. Everyone knows of my antics with stuffed animals, and it came from you. I remember you taking me to ball games in D.C., first baseball and later football. I still remember my first game we attended in old Griffith Stadium in 1960. The Yankees and Senators had a short home run derby before the game. And I remember my hero, Mickey Mantle, hitting two balls completely out of the stadium. It was a great day, like so many others, when we were together. I know when I became a teenager, I became quite rebellious, dancing, drinking, and partying. And I know I was difficult to handle in those days. And I'm very sorry for my actions. But I still remember you getting me jobs, such as the Spectre campaign when we moved to Philadelphia for the summer. I remember the profound sense of loss when he unexpectedly lost the race. We were together that night, sadly listening to the polls. You allowed me to help out in Senator Scott's office, the Senate document room, later HEW, and then the State Department. And when all the other kids were flipping burgers or cutting lawns for the summer, I always had a real job. You opened the doors for all of them. You paid for my college and my law school education, so unlike many others. I had no, I had no debt when I graduated. And, and this despite the fact that by the time I attended college and law school, I had become a, a Christian, a scandal, and an anathema to you and mom. I guess you could say in one way that the coup de grace of my rebellion was becoming a Christian, although honestly it really wasn't. I just found something in Jesus that I've never found growing up in the synagogue. And so it was a very personal and thoughtful decision on my part. It really had nothing to do with you or mom, although I understand it felt that way. In those early years with my new faith, I made a lot of mistakes. I was incredibly insensitive to you, to you and mom, and said things that I shouldn't have said, wrote things that I shouldn't have written, and did things that I shouldn't have done. For all the pain that I inflicted on you and mom for my behavior, I'm sorry. I really regret it. The saddest part is that our relationships never recovered after my personal faith decision. This was always, there was always a barrier between us even into my adult years. However, what happened to me was the beginning of a journey. It started out as a Christian and returned as a Jew. The process began when I was working on Capitol Hill. Again, the first job that I had there because of your influence. This is when I wrote the famous track from one Jew to another that got me into trouble because of its passage through Mark's family. That's one of my cousins. The track was a first attempt to, bring, to begin to return to my Jewish heritage. It was at that point where we had the famous confrontation at your house during the Hanukkah 1985. You gave me the choice of remaining in the family or stop proselytizing Jews. I said I could not relinquish a central tenet of my faith, and so that was it. Thus began a 28-year period of complete separation. Again, I assume responsibility for the many of the things that I said and did during that period that led you to that decision. But again, in retrospect, as I told you in a letter many years later, I believe it was a poor decision on your part, made worse by the unwillingness to reconcile when I would attempt to do so throughout the years. On the other hand, in light of what I will write later, I understand why you made the decision that you did. I also know that the letter that I wrote to you just before moving to Israel, where I raised these issues, probably caused you great pain, and again, I'm sorry. I never wanted to hurt you in any way. I just wanted to try to get your attention before it was too late. 
After our separation, as you know, I left politics, law, and business and entered a Messianic Jewish seminary in the D.C. area. There I learned to understand the New Testament as a fully Jewish book and, a, and that Messianic Jews were not just Christians masquerading as Jews, but Jews who fully lived Jewish lives but believed that Yeshua, Jesus' Hebrew name, was indeed the Messiah. From there we moved to Richmond to, for 22 years for me to serve as Rabbi of Tikvah Israel Congregation. And while there, I went through more changes. I became an expert in Jewish history. I possibly know more about Jewish history now than anyone in the Messianic movement. It was during my studies that I learned the horrific Christian anti-Semitism perpetrated against the Jewish people for 1,800 years. And it was through those experiences that I have fully, more fully appreciated the decision that you and mom made to separate me from the family. I've taught Jewish history to Messianic Jewish seminaries and congregations throughout the world including Brazil, Argentina, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Hungary, Israel, and of course the United States. I love to teach Messianic Jewish people their identity, rooted as Jews among the Jewish people, suffering with and ultimately gaining status and success in modern society. I'm able also to teach Christians their history and culpability for the treatment of Jews, often causing deep repentance and reflection upon the theology of hate against the, Jewish, against the people who brought them their Savior. Dad, I want you to understand that I'm a deeply committed Jewish person who, with an incredible wife, has raised three amazing, deeply Jewish young women and who are passing on to their next generation through their families, their identity. I also want you to understand that I have never held the separation against you and mom personally. I have never degraded you in public or private for your decisions. Rather, when I teach Jewish history, I teach the potential cost of a Jew who embraces Yeshua as the Messiah by describing my own experience in the pain of separation. I never blame you. Rather, I always ask my audience to remember you and mom in prayer in order for there to be reconciliation. As you know, throughout the years of separation, I did try and reach out only to be rejected. I just didn't want to give up hope. I so appreciate the decision that you and mom made to begin to see the girls many years later. While they lost out on many good years with you, unlike Steph's kids, that's my sister, they so appreciated and appreciate you and mom. I think it, that was reflected by them through their own voices at mom's funeral. But when we did move to Israel, and it appeared once again that my overture to reconcile was rejected, I must admit I gave up hope. I thought this was it. I was deeply grieved, but I could do nothing. Then after conferring with Steph in the summer of 2013 about an opening to see you, I jumped at the chance. I really didn't know how I would react when I saw you after all those years. I had, many, I had very mixed emotions, and I think I still tr struggle a lot. <clears throat> was bottled, bottled up for a long time. That is why I'm writing this and not speaking it. I don't think I can. It's too emotional for me. Your willingness to see me and reconcile with me <clears throat> and communicate with me <clears throat> is the greatest miracle that I've ever experienced. And I've seen a lot of miracles. But there's nothing that touches me at such a profound, deep, and personal level as renewing my relationship with you. As you know, it's difficult to talk with you now 
for prolonged periods because of your age and your condition. And it's impossible for me to express what I've expressed here in person. If I tried, I'd turn into a bawling mass of blubber. <laughs> but I just want you to know how important you are to me, how important your approval of me is. And before you leave, I wanted you to know how I feel. Please let me know you've read this. You don't need to respond with anything profound. I just want to know that you read it. That's it. Love forever, your son. <clears throat> That's what I read at the funeral. Folks, God is in the reconciliation business. We must do all that we can to reconcile with other people. Reconciliation is more than forgiveness. It means restoring relationships. That's the meaning and purpose of reconciliation. Let's close. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that you are a God who desires reconciliation and you empower us to bring about to, and given us the ministry of reconciliation, O oh God. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that if their relationships have severed, Lord, with others, family or friends, former members, whatever, Lord, that you would put it on their hearts to reconcile, O oh God. This is the call of the gospel, Lord. Father, I thank you that for all that you've done in my life and with my family and in the relationships, Lord. I thank you for the miracles, and especially the miracle of my dad acknowledging you and turning to you at the end of his life. Father, you are God who brings about reconciliation in our lives, Lord. You are a great God, and we honor you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've been asked to do the, the uh, ironic benediction, which I'll do, and then I'll turn it over.